Again, if uh, you're just joining us for the first time, you're walking into the middle of a movie, kind of. Uh, we, this is part three of a four-part series, and so you're catching us right in the middle. What we're simply doing in this series is recognizing all the brokenness that exists in this world. And we don't need to convince you very much of that, right? Uh, there's all sorts of brokenness, whether it's racial brokenness, financial brokenness, physical brokenness, relational brokenness, all sorts of brokenness all over the place. Um, and what we're doing in this series is, in part one, what we discovered is that all these different kinds of brokenness really stem from one common issue, and that is spiritual brokenness. Um, there's a sin problem. And when God addresses that, then we can start to look at all these other symptoms and see how he addresses those two. And so last week what we looked at was relational brokenness, and Ben uh, preached on this section where he, he talked about how compassion, being moved uh, towards other people, is, is what helps to, to uh, restore relational brokenness. So the good news is if you missed either of those series and you're intrigued or interested or want to catch up, you can go online to our website, click on the Messages tab, and you can get caught up there in about an hour. Because each message is 30, and this is part three. Um, so what we're doing today is we're going to take it one step further and look into another area of brokenness and see how God addresses it. And before I do that, I just need to tell you a quick story about my wisdom as a parent. And every time I tell you a story about my wisdom as a parent, you should get your pens out <laughs> to either hear what to do or what not to do. All right. So every parent is different. I'm not saying one is right, one is wrong. This is just how Amy and I decided to raise our three kids. We decided that sugar and sugary snacks are not going to be a regular automatic thing. So every night after supper, they say, can we have dessert? Can we have candy? And a lot of times we'll just flat out say, no, no, no. It's like we don't even have to think about it because that's a rule in our house. We save dessert and special snacks for special times. And again, nothing wrong with it. It's just what we decided to do. Same with screen time. Nothing wrong with it. We decide for our kids what's best is limited screen time. You can watch a little bit of cartoons in the morning, and we can watch Wheel of Fortune at night, which is a great show for kids. It's like, what color is Vanna's dress going to be? We don't know. Like, we guess, and we see who's right. But we watch a little bit at night, and beyond that, they ask, can we watch TV? Can we watch TV? No. It's like an automatic thing. Nothing's wrong with screen time. That's just what we decided is best for our kids. But here's where I'm going with this. Even for our kids, we will make concessions. We will give in from time to time when they need it. And there was one time recently when one of our kids needed it. Poor Logan, seven years old, losing another tooth. And dad's the tooth puller in the house. So I decide, I make the, parents, this is the hardest thing, right? I make the decision one day, this is the day it's coming out. Because you know they're suffering with it. You know as soon as you get it out, it'll be better. And so I'm like, okay, this is it. We're, it's go time. We're going to pull this thing out tonight. It's coming out. And so I get the washcloth. I, you know, I, I start to get on his tooth, and he doesn't like it at all. And I'm pulling, I'm pulling, and I'm thinking, this was not the right day. <laughs> you should have seen his eyes. Waterworks. I mean, it was like a faucet was turned on, and he's got water coming down his cheeks, He's looking at me with horror, and he's saying, Dad, 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 stop, stop, stop. I'm like, I'm sorry, son, I'm sorry. We're going to watch TV tonight. <laughs> We're going to break out the suckers. <laughs> you can have potato chips, and tomorrow you can have five suckers. We're just breaking all the rules for him because we knew he was broken, and he just needed a little something to, to get him through it. 
Now, the reason I share that with you is because we might wonder or assume or hope maybe God should be the same for us. Can't he look at us in our brokenness and in our anguish, in our times of suffering, and can't he, can't he make an, an exception? Can't he give in and say, you know what, I usually tell you to stay away from these things, but just go ahead, help yourself. Wouldn't we all hope or expect a loving God to have compassion on us like that? Or there's this common objection, and I totally understand it. I'm not making light of this. There's this common objection people bring into Christianity where they say, I don't want to believe in a God who takes all the fun out of life. Why would I want a God like that? And I, I totally get it. Or in the terms of this series, here's the, the first fill-in for you. If God has compassion on the broken, then why does he forbid the things that promise us happiness? Can't he just give in a little bit? Can't he just make some exceptions? Because here's, here's the truth that none of us need convincing of. When you live in a broken world, and when you are a broken person, you will feel unfulfilled. Why would a loving God keep us away from the things that promise us a little something? So that's the objection. That's the common objection out there, and I totally understand it. I totally get it. And what I hope to do today is to find an answer or a reason. Why would God hold on to these commandments, these laws, these things, and say, do this, don't do that? Can't he just give in a little bit like any good parent would? Well, to help answer that question, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a section. It's a tongue twister. It's from 1 Thessalonians. Uh, this is a letter written in the first century that has survived. We have copies of it to this day. And this was a letter written to some Christians in the first century who were wondering this very thing. Well, if God really has compassion on the broken, can't we just kind of fudge the rules a little bit? Can't we just enjoy life while we have it? And so the Apostle Paul, who was very familiar with objections to Christianity, he wrote them a letter, and by the time he got to chapter 4 of chapter 5 of his letter, he says, now I need to talk to you about this. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the first couple of verses of chapter 4 in this letter, and what I want to give you the chance to do is just vent. Like, use these first two verses to be angry, to be cynical, to bring your objections to God, because I'll be honest, when you first read these words, it will sound like there's some angry God up there who's just making us live a life that's broken. So you have permission to be angry, just the first two verses, though. Then you have to be happy after that. Verses 1 and 2, Paul writes this. So as for other matters, he's moving on to a new idea. Brothers and sisters, he's talking to Christians here, so if you're not a Christian, you can just look from the outside and see how messed up we are. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Wonderful. We're broken. Our world is broken. And now God is telling us to do certain things so that we can please him. Shouldn't he be doing some things to make our lives a little funner? And now here's the little gold star. Paul says, you're doing this. You're already on the right track. And so you might be wondering, okay, can we just end the letter then? Can we stop writing, Paul? But he pushes further. So you're living in a way to please God. Now we ask you, we don't just ask you, we're urging you, commanding you, we're poking you to, in the name of the Lord Jesus, to, to do this more and more, to live your life in a way that pleases God. For you know what instructions we gave you by, he's pulling out the Jesus card. This is the Lord Jesus talking here. 
So live your life in a way that pleases God. Slams his hand on the table, boom, we're done. So these first two verses, if you approach it from the standpoint that we're broken people in a broken world, this should make you angry, and this should make you bring objections before God. Can't he just bend the rules? Where's our cartoons? Where are our suckers? Can we just have some candy? You tell us to do this, don't do that. Can't you just show us some love? Now, what, what are some of these things God says? Well, God says, you know, go through the Ten Commandments. Um, watch what you say. Um, be nice to people. Don't hate. Don't, don't murder. Um, he says, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. All these things. And it's like he's just showing us what not to do. Broken, unfulfilled people are just told to stop it. So now that we've vented a little bit, we're going to look at verse 3 because Paul's going to start explaining for us what exactly he's meaning specifically when he says, live a life that pleases God. And here's where we're going to start to see a twist in what he says. He says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. We're going to illustrate this with an object lesson in just a minute. That's what's in the fun basket over there. But uh, before we do that, I'm just going to give you a, a definition of it. It's pretty simple. Sanctified simply means to set something apart. So if you pretend this table was, was the world and you split it in two, so here's a group of people here, and, and Paul says, I want you to be set apart. I want you to be sanctified from the group. And that's a continual thing you see throughout the New Testament. Paul says, be sanctified, live differently. Now the good news is there are a lot of things in a Christian's life that the world is a fan of. Like you look at all the fruits of the Spirit. God says, if you have my spirit, you'll have love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience, self-control, respect. And the world is like, thumbs up. We'll take some of that. That's good. But then there's other things that when it comes to the, the definitions and the way the world sees things, God says, I want you to be sanctified. You need to stand apart from these important issues. So let's just throw a hypothetical out there. What do you think is the most touchy personal subject when it comes to living apart from the world? Money? You know, should God stick his business in your money and tell you how to use it? And uh, I don't want anyone seeing my checkbook. No, thank you. Maybe it's the thoughts in your mind. You know, God is going to tell you to live differently, think differently. What we're about to see is that God's will for you, and you can keep being angry at this point, that's okay. God's will for you goes down to the very heart and the most personal area of a person's life. Because the way the world views something is not the way God wants you to view something. It's his will that you should stand apart, you should avoid sexual immorality. He went there. Now what is a broken world with broken people Think about this. Well, is there anything better that could possibly bring fulfillment to people who, you know, feel unfulfilled? Um, the world views sex as this physical thing. It's downplayed, downplayed, downplayed to the point where sometimes it's talked about as nothing more than a high five or a handshake. You know, it's just a part of every relationship. Um, that's the way the world views it. And what Paul is simply saying here is that there's a wrong way and a right way. 
the good way to view sex and the, the bad way to view sex. There's a right and a wrong here. And before you get too upset about that and say, oh, well, it's, it's my life, it's my responsibility, whatever, God has no business in this, I just want you to keep an open mind for a moment that God might see something that you can't see yet. There's a right and there's a wrong. And I'm not going to use this as a, as a soapbox to, to go preach on about marriage and all that stuff. Um, that's not in this section. That's a message for a different day. I'm going to let Paul explain what he means. Avoiding sexual immorality, being sanctified from the way the world views sex into the way God wants you to view it. And he's going to explain that for us in these next few verses. It starts with you. Each of you should learn because it's not a natural thing. You have to learn this. Learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable. Then he says, not in an impassionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So this, first of all, it's, this is a you thing. This is you controlling your body. You know why? Because Jesus set you free from your sin, from your punishment. He set you to be free, and so God never wants you to be controlled by anything, not money, not possessions, not sex. He says you should control your own body. This is what you were called to in him. And then he makes a, a very rare comparison where he compares the heathen with the believing. And he says it's, it's almost like it's either one or the other. Either you're controlling your body or you're not. Um, it, it's not like there's any middle ground. But he's simply saying this is what the ideal is. This is what, the, what, what God wants for you, to, to control your body and to not let it control you. Okay, that makes sense. Then he's actually going to switch the object here. He's going to look at something different, and this has even more weight when it comes to his case for separating from sexual immorality. He says that in this matter, it's not just a matter of our own bodies and doing what's right for us, but also in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. That word wrong literally means to, to step across a line. That this is as far as my relationship with them should go. This is what I can expect from them. But I, I went beyond that line. I trespassed. I, I exceeded my limits. Well, why? <laughs> because we call it a drive, right? There's a drive to us. And, and sometimes that drive can push us beyond where we should go. Do not wrong a brother or sister. also says do not take advantage of. Um, literally, what it, what it means is you're, you're finding something they have that you want. It's, it's almost like coveting something. And so he says, don't cross the line and don't covet what's not yours. And up comes the natural question, well, how far is too far? How soon is too soon? And all I'm going to say is I'm not going to try to draw that line for you. All I will show you is that in marriage, there is no line because two have become one. There is no boundary line you can, can't cross in marriage. And that's all I'll say about that. Paul makes the case there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And he's about to make that point even clearer. Like, how serious is God about this stuff? And, and we bring up the, the, the illustration or the example here of, you know, sexual immorality. There's other things we could bring up here, too. It, it could be a money thing, where here's my proper relationship with money. I can cross that line. I can go places where I shouldn't go and take things I shouldn't take. Um, it, it could be simply an identity thing for you, where you're looking for approval from people that shouldn't have a say in who you are. 
There's lots of different areas for this. Paul's simply making the case you need to stand apart, be sanctified. Now, how serious is God about this? Very. The Lord will punish all who commit such sins. Just let that sink in. Now we're getting angry again, right? Well, who is he to step into my life and tell me what I can and cannot do and then punish me if I do it the wrong way, if I go the wrong way? The Lord will punish as we have told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure. Remember that word, call. He didn't call you to be impure, but he called you to live a holy life. And then you might say, well, this is just Paul. This is 2,000 years ago. Their culture was so different. I mean, with Paul and the Greeks back in that day, prostitution was a very open and accepted thing. Everyone um, was, was having a part in it. Well, here's how Paul finishes off this section. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction I'm giving you does not reject a human being. You're not rejecting Paul. You're not rejecting a church. You're not rejecting a pastor. You're rejecting the very God who gives you his spirit. You know, one would hope, one would think that for people who live in a broken world and people who constantly feel unfulfilled, couldn't he budge on this just a little bit? But instead, it seems like he's pretty serious. And, and to illustrate why this is the case, I've got some things here for you. Now, if you're here in, in weeks one and two, Ben had these amazing props, like he had boxing gloves in week one. Maybe you here for that? It's like there's the fight going on inside, the sinner and the saint. And I thought I'd be funny after the service. I took one of the boxing gloves and I put it on my hand. I was going to punch him until I smelled it. <laughs> they were well used. Um, this, is, this is not. Um, woo, yeah. Plastic cup. So the reason I brought this is because a couple weeks ago, I was sitting in my office here at church and I got thirsty, which happens to me every once in a while. So I went to the kitchen. I grabbed one of these, the, the church kitchen. We've got a, literally a cupboard just full of these, and anyone can go in and grab them. So I grabbed one of them. I filled it up with water, got a drink, and I anticipated, because I'm this smart, I anticipated I might get thirsty again. So I took the cup. I filled it up again. I took it back to my office, placed it on the counter, and an hour later, I go to my cup, and I notice there's this puddle underneath it. And my first thought is, I'm clumsy. All right? I don't have the best genes when it comes to, to um, um, not being clumsy. <laughs> so I, I'm like, oh, man, I was just clumsy. But I look, it's like this perfect ring around the cup. And so I look at it. I don't see anything. I lift it up, and I see there's a crack on the bottom of it. So there's water all over the place. And so, so here's the question. What did I do with the cup? You throw it away. It's just a cheap plastic cup. You throw it away. Now, none of you were expecting to hear that, well, I found the, the, the crack, and so I filled it up with more water to, to compensate, right? You would all think I'm foolish for that. Or maybe I went to this cup, and I emptied it out, and I, I, I thought to myself, well, maybe it's just water, and so I filled it up with milk instead. And milk did the same thing, so then I went on to orange juice, which is kind of pulpy, hoping the pulp would kind of fill the cracks, you know, and maybe make it work? No. <laughs> None of that works. We'll go back to the original question. Why, why would we want to believe in a God who takes all the fun out of an already broken life? Well, what if God understood that when you fill 
what's broken, it just makes a mess. Filling what's broken, it's, it's foolish when we think of it in terms of a cup, right? Why would anyone continue to fill up a broken cup and expect anything different to happen? And the worst part is it just creates a mess, not just a mess for you, but sometimes this mess seeps into other lives too. Why would we keep filling up what's broken? So why would a God of compassion forbid from us what promises happiness? Well, perhaps because he knows that when you fill what's broken, it will only make a bigger mess. And what are the biggest things that can cause messes? Money, sex, uh, self-medication. Is it, is it any wonder that a God who loves you would, would caution you about those things? So what happens when you take a broken person, let's say? You take a broken person, and you fill it up with lots of money. Just pack the money in there. And it's broken. It seeps out. You get a mess. You get debt. You get bankruptcy. You get broken relationships over money because it's seeping into other lives too. What happens when you take a cup and you take a broken person and you fill it with, with, with sex? And they're, they're saying to themselves, this sex will bring me fulfillment in my life. Well, what happens is that seeps out. It makes a mess. And a lot of times it causes a mess in other people's lives too. You put anything into something that's broken, it will make a mess. Now, I, I share this illustration with you in hopes that we can avoid some messes in the future. But what I know about all of us is that right now we're all sitting in a puddle. All of us are trying to fill ourselves up with something, and all it's doing is making a mess. And we already saw God's take on this, right? I mean, he talked about the sexual immorality part, but it applies to other areas too. What does God do when people try to fill themselves up while they're still broken? Seems like he's pretty harsh. He's talked about punishment, right? Well, here's where we're going to look at another part of this. You see, there was actually a church in the first century that was full of broken people. And it wasn't just sexual immorality. There were murderers. There were idolaters. There were liars. There were thieves. It was a horrible church. I'm glad I wasn't a part of it. But Paul wrote a letter to them, and he said, there's something you need to remember. This is the, the church in Corinth. He said, this is what some of you were. That's what you were. But there's three things that God did. Number one, he washed. Um, you know what he did? That, that mess that came from your trying to fill what was broken, God washed it. Um, and when he washes that between you and him, what that means is oftentimes we go to the people that it leaked onto, that our mess was a part of, and we clean it up with them too. You were washed. The moment Jesus was put on that cross, he was accepting the mess that we made. You were washed. Second thing is you were sanctified. So God saw you, along with the whole world, you know, just trying to fill what was broken, mess after mess. He said, I'm going to set you aside. I'm going to sanctify you so that I can do some amazing work in you. And the way that he did that was through this third thing. You were justified. And that word means that you were declared to be something you were not. I got another thing in the bin there, but before I do that, these, these are cheap. These are plastic. You would expect to put water, you put juice, put, you know, anything in here. I, I wouldn't mind tossing this around to any of you, any, you know, 
It's, it's not that big of a deal. I would not toss this around, though. That is a crystal wine glass that Amy and I received for our wedding three, not three, 11 years ago. <laughs> she was at the early service. I would not throw this wine glass around. Well, why? Because it's, it's something that's much more precious, something more important. Um, in fact, we often, we as people, we often have like special furniture just to house these things, right? Like we have a, a house for our car, and then we have little houses for our, our, our crystal, our crystal uh, glasses and stuff. We have a special place for this. Do you, this is not something we just go home and you know, pour some water into and throw some ice in there and just drink it. This is for special occasions, for special things. You often fill it with things that are good. And this is what God has done for you. He says, you were broken, but I've justified you. I've declared you to be something you weren't. I've declared you to be holy. And now what he places in you is his spirit. That is the first step to understanding how to find fulfillment in a broken world. To remember what God has done for you. So this is a fill in number three on your sheets. God created one way for this to happen. I know this world promises all sorts of ways to make you fulfilled, um, whether it's sex, whether it's money, whether it's whatever it is. There's all sorts of promises this world holds out, but there is one way that God can make you whole. And there's one way that God has made you holy, and that is through his son, through his death and life. Now, I know this message lands in different places for everyone. All I'm hoping for all of us is that you would simply consider what impact this has on your life, whether it's a sexual thing or a money thing or a self-medication thing. What are you filling into yourself to try to account for the brokenness? And would you be willing to stop? Stop filling the brokenness so that God can point you to who you really are are. Because what you fill yourself with in your life sends a big message as to who you believe you are. And I'll admit, there are days when all of us will, will be more like this person, and we'll try to fill it up and fill it up and fill it up and try to find ways to feel fulfilled again, and it will just make a mess. And then there's days when we're reminded that this is who we are, the forgiven one, the whole one made holy. And to send you off with something today, I want to give you one more passage, which I hope gives you some, some motivation and some encouragement with regard to which one you are on a daily basis. It's Paul again. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples? You're not plastic cups. You're temples of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. This is not cheap. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Fill yourself up with what pleases him. And here's my closing thought for you. I would not treat this wine glass the same way I would treat this plastic cup. I would even fill them with different things. But here's what I want you to think about. What God calls holy, I want you to treasure and treat it as holy. That starts with you. Imagine what would happen if we were able to put this broken part of you away and to simply believe in the wholeness and the holiness that God has given you in Christ. I want you to imagine what your life would look like if instead of trying to fill and fill and fill with the things that never work, 
to find your wholeness in him? What if we could treat and treasure as holy what God calls holy, and he calls you holy, his holy temple, his holy dwelling place? Imagine the difference that would make. And then once you do that, the the second part is then I think some of us need to start looking at other people this way too because some of us just grab people. We grab that plastic cup and we say, hey, you can fill me up. You can do this for me. You can do this for me. And we treat other people like we believe we are too. And so maybe it's time to view other people as God views them, as holy ones, people whom his son died for, to make holy and to clean. Now there's lots of messes. Some of us have been filling ourselves up with quite a, uh, for quite a while on things that just kept making a mess. And we just kept filling and filling and filling. But I want you to know that you have been set free from that. That from this day forward, you don't need to be a slave to who you were because you have been freed to who you are in Christ. And one day, maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month, maybe it's a year down the line, you'll look back at this moment where you decided to view yourself differently, where you decided to treat and treasure yourself as God would treat and treasure you in person. And you're going to look back and you're going to say, that's the day I stopped leaking everywhere. That's the day I actually started to be filled up. And maybe you'll start to understand what, the, what uh, King David said in, in Psalm 23, where he's looking at his life and he's saying, my cup, it overflows. So I pray for all of you. This is not an easy message. This is one where it can stir up anger, questions. Why would God have any business in this part of my life? Why would a loving God keep away the things that promise happiness? It's because he knows when you fill up what's broken, it'll only make a mess. So God created one way to make you holy. And what he considers holy, I want you to treat and treasure it as holy too. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, the, the, the love you had for us in sending your son was such an amazing thing. And we stand here today, I mean, there's, there's not a day that goes by where we can't fathom the way that you were able to love us even when we were broken and even when our mess infringed on your glory and on your name. Yet you sent your son to, to wash us, to sanctify us, to, to make us what we were not. I pray that you would give us all the, the trust to be able to see ourselves as you do. Holy. Something to treasure and something to treat with utmost respect. And as you work that in us, let that be a message that other people would see how we see ourselves and see the amazing peace and joy that comes only when you fill what's broken. We ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have a chance here to give...